Welcome to the Content Strategy Expert Podcast, brought to you by Scriptorium. Since 1997, Scriptorium has helped companies manage, structure, organize, and distribute content in an efficient way. In this episode, we talk with guest Amy Williams about how content structure provides the building blocks for innovation. Hey, everybody, I'm Alan Pringle. We have a special guest here today. Hi, Alan. This is Amy Williams. I'm uh, here from Data Conversion Laboratory. Hey there, Amy. First, let's do some introductions so people know who you are and what your company does. So tell me a little bit about yourself and about uh, DCL. So I'll start with DCL. Uh, we've been in business over 40 years. Good for and, you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think we have you beat. I think we were in 1981. Yeah, we're uh, 97, so you have. <laughs> uh, but essentially what we do is um, provide data and content transformation services and solutions. And we use um, different technologies to provide those services and different various AI technologies that you probably hear a lot about. But, um, you know, machine learning, natural language processing, and ultimately we use those to help our customers structure their data and their content so they can use them on different technologies and different platforms. That's essentially what we do. And I've been at DCL. I'm the chief operating officer at DCL. I've been here for 24 years. Wow. And I come from a management <laughs> consulting background. I know. A long time. I was so shocked when I say it myself. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, that means you know what you're talking about. And I think, I think you've kind of given us a good springboard with that introduction into what you and I want to talk about today. We're going to talk about how structured content is the building block, the basis, whatever you want to call it, for doing these digital transformation and innovation projects. Mm -hmm. Would you give me what your definition of digital transformation is? So really, I'd say at its core, digital transformation is using digital technologies to create or modify business processes and end your customers' experiences. And the goal here, you're trying to meet the, you know, business needs are changing all the time. You're trying to meet those changing business needs and the market requirements. But I would say it's like really the reimagining of the your business in a digital age. So I guess if you think about it, most companies really started this transformation a long time ago when, you know, we used to have analog processes and we, you know, there it, people started to go digital. So that like sort of the, was the first step in the digital transformation. But like, if you think about it, we had filing cabinets full of paper and, you know, ledgers revealed to did their books. And then we went to digitize things. We went to word processors and spreadsheets and scanned hard copy. But I guess when I'm talking about digital transformation, I'm talking about taking that next step and changing the way you're doing your business from your internal systems to your customer interactions. And, you know, if you can, if as a company, you start to think and plan and, you know, build processes with that digital, you know, the digital innovation, um, you really start to future proof yourself because you're going to become more agile, more flexible, you know, you're ready to embrace, you know, embrace these new technologies. Um, and, you know, you basically everyone has to keep up with the times to succeed. So that's really how I see a uh, digital transformation, transformation. That's what it is. Yeah. And that that fits with kind of our at Scriptorium. We, of course, have a very content specific view of digital transformation. And our shorthand description, I think, can be summed up as something like using technology to enrich the delivery of information to mm -hmm. customers. And I think you hit on a lot of good points there, especially in regard to future proofing. But let's dial it back, go all the way back, and let's talk about 
from, you know, you've got this kind of big overarching idea, but at the core of it, you've got to make some changes about the way that you handle information, the way that you handle content. And really that pivot from my point of view, and not just mine, but a lot of people's point of view is that structured content is at the core of doing this future proofing so you can do this digital transformation. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I I, I totally agree. Obviously we're sort of in the same business here. But uh, to me, the same thing is a key building block for digital transformation is structured content. I mean, there's other pieces obviously of it, but from my perspective, and I, we're all, we're both a little biased here. (laughs) That structured content is that, is that key building block here. Yeah. So um, I mean, I could talk a little bit about structured content if you i mean yeah we might as well why don't we go ahead and just define it again this is digital transformation people have slightly different definitions (laughs) so let's hear yours okay so from my perspective i mean obviously all companies organizations everyone has archives of content right and it's different across industries um you know but, you know, if you're, it could be historical documents, photos, industry standards, research articles, just depends what interests you. The problem is it's not all in searchable um, format. So people like, you know, we were talking, I was just talking a little bit about digitizing as that first step to the transformation, sure. but people think as a, you know, a PDF, like I took this, I scanned it, I've got a PDF as a digital document. Well, obviously it is digital, but it's not really because, it's not it's not true searchable format. So that's where, you know, the the content, the structured content comes in. We have to take that image-based PDF, take it to the next level. So you can run it through an automated OCR engine, right? And, and, tell, people, have, and tell people what that is. Right. Oh, so an o- OCR is an optical character recognition right. yep. engine. And um, when you run it through the OCR, you get text behind that. So it's not always beautiful text. It, it can be searched, but sometimes it doesn't come out exactly right. Like I's and one's and L's might be mixed up. It depends, sure. you know, what the, the, the format of the, the source format and what the quality is. But, um, and so it could be searched. The problem is if you don't know the structure of that text, because basically you just have a bunch of text behind that image, it's not going to be a very efficient search. So that's where the, the issue comes in. And really most of the content that, you know, people are producing now, right, for the most part is not structured. Like people are using Word and Google Docs and it really produces unstructured content. And what's happening here is people like, you know, when you're writing these things, the authors that are typically writing a Word document or Google Docs or something like that, they're really concentrating on the way the content looks, right? Instead of what that content actually is. So for example, if you're writing something and you have an introduction to a journal article and you say this introduction is gonna be bold, well, in XML or in a structured content, you would say this is an introduction. You would actually say what this is. So that's when when we talk about a searchable format, I'm really talking about XML here. That's sure. What I, yeah, that's what we're talking about. Sure. And and like you said, we're both kind of biased. I would agree with you. Right. You know, XML is 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 really the way to do structured content. And when I say structured content, what I am saying is it is a publishing workflow that lets you define very consistent consistently organized content in your documents programmatically so a human being doesn't have to do it. So it sets up. You've got to have an introduction that has these types of elements. You've got to have a procedure that has this kind of structure. So all of that is programmatically enforced 
And on top of that enforced structure, this is the critical part. And I think you may agree with this too, because again, we're both biased <laughs> that you can add a layer of intelligence on top of that, right. that can, that is really necessary from this delivery perspective in particular, from my point of view. Right. And I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about a metadata layer, exactly. right? Okay. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Right. So on top that, if, you know, will it will facilitate even a more efficient search in your content management system or your website. Basically, you know, if people can't find if the, if you can't find your um, content, it's really not usable. So exactly, <laughs> that's really the key here. And it goes both for the people who are creating the content because if you have all of these bits and pieces of structured content inside a content management system, the people who are creating the content need to be able to gather their, you know, all the bits that they need. And if they can't find them, they're going to probably rewrite it, which is what you don't want to do. Plus on the delivery side, you may need that intelligence to personalize that content. So you can send out something that is very specific to a region or to the audience or whatever else. Right. And when, you know, you sort of touched a little bit then, because to me, one of the biggest benefits of structured content also is content reuse. Absolutely. you know, the content, you know, structured content facilitates content reuse. So basically, instead of creating and recreating, copying and pasting content, you're creating that XML once, that instance once, and then other people in your organization can use it or reuse the content, but you're also, you know, going to be able to publish it everywhere. So, you know, different apps that need it or integrated systems that can use that XML and render it for different devices and generate PDFs for distribution, create eBooks, all of those things that, that can happen once you have that structured content in place. And really, I guess the opportunities are endless as far as I see it, but it, it all comes back to that building block of structured content. Sure. And I think I'm glad you brought up reuse because when people hear digital transformation, they may think of big, shiny, beautiful marketing things and all the fancy technical ways that you can deliver content. But that reuse angle lets you basically give a very common voice or, you know, give clients, your customers, the same information, regardless of where they are, you know, if they're in the sales cycle or if they're using the product or whatever else, Mm -hmm. by reusing that content, you are giving consistent messaging. And yeah, it's not as glamorous as, you know, some flashy kind of personalized distribution scheme, but that really, I think, is super important when we're talking about digital transformation. Right. I, I agree. And you, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's not super fancy yeah. <laughs> what we do. But it's, it, you know, they say content is king. It's true. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So your, your wheelhouse like ours is structured content. So why don't you tell me what you're seeing out there right now as far as trends go with structure uh, helping these digital transformation right. scenarios? So I, I see a few, so there's a few different, different things that we're seeing. I'm, I wanted to talk a little bit because um, about the pharma industry, because we're seeing a lot um, of a, a real big uptick in the use of structured content in that in that area, yeah. in life sciences and pharma. Um, and, and really what's, what's, you know, what's drawing that is, is there's a lot, you know, you can imagine there's a lot about documentation required to bring new drugs to a market. So, you know, here in the U.S., we have um, a markup language called SPL, it's for structured product labeling that the FDA's mandated. Um, but what we're seeing now is the pharma companies looking past that. And, you know, worldwide, I mean, we're, we're dealing with companies all over the all over the globe right now, and they're starting to look at where they can implement other tools and technologies that are using that structured content. 
and like the types of applications we're being asked to support are things, um, it's really like streamlining the content um, around product labeling in the pharma industry. Um, and, you know, what the goal there is, is they're, they're trying to improve the way that the content's created and managed and delivered. It's like a full end to end. And they're, sure. and they're connecting at the end that product contact with the graphic templates. And they're really putting together an automated, um, a fully automated workflow um, around labeling. And it's, it's, I mean, it's really amazing. It's, a, it's really transformation of that whole internal publishing process for pharma. It's the same kind of thing that, you know, they were doing, you know, we've they've always done in tech docs and really the pharma, pharma industry is starting to, you know, to come around to, to that end-to-end process of and, and using structured content un- underneath. Um, so it's, it's really, really exciting. And the other trend we're seeing actually in the pharma industry is they're, they're also um, starting to um, use structured contact for like a direct end user consumption, like through mobile apps. Oh. We, were at, we, we just recently worked on a pilot um, to uh, still around labeling, you know, those, you know, the labels you get when you get a prescription drug oh, and yes. pieces of paper that you hold oh, yeah. up. Sure. It's a, that type. So they're really going online and digital with those things. And they're looking at ways uh, for the end user and the customer you as a consumer to go and get the you know most up-to-date information about those products so that's really interesting also so this integration you're talking about it is not it it kind of is an integration in two ways you're integrating your processes that you know that really assist with this automated delivery of content but you're also integrating things in regard to delivery and making it much easier for people to get information your consumers to get information because it's no longer just on a piece of paper not everybody wants to read a piece of paper in the 21st century anymore right Right. and the piece of paper may be out of date Exactly. And that's even, that's really important. It's, and it's a liability issue. I think that a, a big, you know, the reason why they're being embraced in the pharma company, I think is part of liability and risk and minimizing risk. Yeah. And that's, and I'm glad you brought that up. Again, digital transformation, it's not just about the shiny stuff. It can really help with regulatory right. compliance a lot right. and give you all of the basically intelligence you need to keep track of things, the archiving right. and, and whatever else, because you've got that really nice integrated process in the background managing all that information right. for you. And it's interesting, Alan, the, um, the legislation, that was the other area that when you asked me about trends that I wanted to hit on that we're seeing now. We've we've worked on a few projects now with um, where, where we're harvesting this complex like legal and regulatory content from public websites. Huh. And we're seeing this trend in several agencies that we've, you know, it's I've seen in the financial industry. We're seeing it in insurance and in legal and accounting. Um, and what's going on is there's all this information that appears only in public websites, these legal and regulatory type information. And the, the sites are constantly being updated with like new content, modified content. It's so hard for people to keep track of it, for companies especially to keep track of it. Sure. And um, and it's extremely valuable, but there's no standard for it or anything. So what we're um, you know, it's, and it's and it's a real challenge for companies that need that data where they, you know, so they can they can be in compliance. And so what we're seeing now is a bunch of projects that where we're um, developing applications that are harvesting that information like on a continuous basis and then structuring it, putting it into some form of XML, feeding that XML to their downstream system. So it's going to sh- it's streamlining that compliance process and back to avoiding the risk of noncompliance. So it's, it, it, I mean, it's, it, they're really, really important applications. 
Yeah, and that's certainly better than keeping 1,400 filing cabinets full of musty old paper, isn't right. it? <laughs> right. And I don't think they were really doing that. I mean, Good. they have the information. <laughs> They're on websites. The problem is how efficient is that? And how do you yes. know if you're monitoring, you know, 150, you have to 150 legislative websites that you need to keep track of and comply with different laws. It's very difficult. You can have a whole stable of, you know, attorneys or legal aides sitting there working on this, but it's just not efficient unless it's in a structured format and a consistent structured format you know you can look at one website and it's you know one way and another website's another way and we're talking documents here it's not you know it's a little different than like in an amazon you know your your product details that type of thing but you're talking about full legal documents and then you have to know what changed and what got updated and what got deleted and you need to know that on an ongoing basis so you and you have to follow those so it's a it's i mean it's a lot of really valuable valuable information that needs to come out. So we're seeing a lot of these harvesting projects happening and with structured content under, you know, being the outcome. Are there any other projects that really show some, I don't know if surprising is the right word, but uses that you may not necessarily consider as being a digital transformation project that you want to talk about? You know, I think mostly everything we get involved in is is a digital transformation project. I mean, we have, um, you know, we have some, I think, there's some particularly interesting projects. <laughs> but, um, what you know, we do, we, there's one that we've been doing, we've been working for over 10 years now with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Oh, interesting. Um, and I mean, it's another good example of digital transformation. So you can imagine the USPTO receives a massive volume of patent application materials on a daily basis. And it's a lot of different document types. And this is a lot of information. And they did have this process to digitize the incoming material. They had a whole scanning process going on, and but they're scanning to TIFF images. So it's back to that, you know, same thing. You've got this information and, you know, sort of a static digital. It's a picture, essentially. A picture, photo, right, yeah. right. So it was taking the patent examiners like way too long to go through the material. They had a multi-year backlog when we started this of reviews and approvals of patents, which obviously not acceptable to anybody. No. <laughs> so, you know, DCL, we developed a, um, there's a fully automated system for them that transforms that high volume of scan images to their XML schema. So they have their own XML schema. Um, and what's interesting about this, well, well the, the volume is interesting because this is a totally lights out, you know, no human hands are touching this process. Right. And we're processing about a one and a half million pages a month. Um, and the turnaround's under 10 minutes. So it's fully lights out um, conversion. And even the volumes in some months have gone to like two and a half million pages in a month. And it can scale to several times that. But what the really interesting part of this is the way that we were doing the OCR, because we talked a little bit about OCR and how you can scan something. And then, you know, what you're getting behind is not so great. Sometimes the OCR doesn't work very well with tables and things like that. So what the process that we developed now um, it, it actually um, removes those, um, it uses like a computer vision technology, and it automatically detects that content that isn't suitable for OCR. So things like math, and there's a lot of chemical equations. You can imagine in a patent application, they have a lot of those chemical 
you know, I don't know what they're called, equations or they're capable of the pictures, the, the chemical sure, pictures. Sure. Yeah, the formulas, that's what they're yeah. like. And the and tables and things like that. So this process will extract those artifacts before it actually runs that OCR process. So you're running the OCR process just on text. So you get a better result. It's removing those pieces that are harder to OCR that won't OCR very pro- you know, properly. Yeah. And then we transform the content to XML, repackage it, the XML with those artifacts that were removed and you use, do that based on that page coordinates you know because so we did that computer vision to, to figure them out we kept the page coordinates and then you put them back together and then they get delivered to uspto okay i've learned something today that is absolutely fascinating. <laughs> it is really, really interesting that is fascinating yeah it's very interesting and it, and and in the result is it was a great result it significantly improved that you know the patent examination efficiency and the productivity of the patent examiners and they basically at uspo they're taking the structured contact they have um they have like automated analytics that they use they're generating these claim trees they report on different claims there's like term and phrase identification they're all types of things they're doing with the structured content and it's it's just it's really amazing. And they're they're um, they, I mean they've significantly reduced their backlog. I mean I don't think they have like these year logs, you know, these multi year backlog anymore. It's been a really successful project. And if you think about it, um, this is the kind of thing that you can pandemic proof or help reduce the risk of events like a pandemic. Because if you have these digital automated processes, you're not as reliant as people getting together and being together and doing this kind right. of kind of work. Right. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a pretty cool project. The other one I thought it might be interesting is um, one for NYPL, the New York, um, New York Public Library. I'm a New Yorker. We okay. <laughs> everyone knows what NYPL is. No, <laughs> New York Public Library. Um, so you know they obtained from the U.S. Copyright Office this catalog of copyright entries, and it's basically this you know huge vast collection of digital copyright entries dating back to 19 I mean 1891. That's a lot. <laughs> so it's and it's really old material, right? Yeah. So what's in there is just copyright status of millions of works. And so when you think about it, like the page would look like, I mean, they have about four hundred fifty thousand pages of this stuff, but each page is very dense pages. There are you know three or four column, and they're just like these little catalog entries, like a columns of catalog entries. So each one could have a hundred entries on one page. And what we're what you know they. What we're doing there is what MIPL came to us, they wanted to do was create a database that they could, you know, so somebody can quickly get in online and determine the status, the copyright status of a specific piece of work, right? So they're trying to benefit the publishing and scholarly communities so they, you know, understand what's within copyright, what's not within copyright. So we developed a, a process there also to extract the text, again, using these page coordinate data, which we're seeing a lot in these systems. So they want to, let me take a step. So the page coordinate data, they want to they wanna show, like in these systems that the end users are using, they want to show the page as it was scanned. So they want to show that image piece, and then they want to show the extracted text that's fielded. So we use a lot of page, the OCR engines that use page coordinate data to, to be able to facilitate that type of a display at the end for the end user. Um, 
It's it's interesting. And so the you know what's happening now we there we you know it's based on funding for NYPL. So we've done three different tranches of this work and as they get new funding we do more, but really what's happening is the users are able to search across these hundreds of thousands of records with a you know very high degree of comf- confidence now. And they can search by like specific fields. They can identify records relevant to their search. They can use, like I said, they can use the machine readable text and the image record. Um, I, I love this one. The, actually, NYPL refers to this project as unlocking of American creativity, <laughs> which I think is great. But sure. that's really what it is. Because if something doesn't have a copyright, that means someone else can take it and use it as a building block, perhaps. Right. They can use it or, or you know, people could, I mean, I think that, you know, in the end, you know, eventually they'll be able to, if it's a, if it's a book that is no longer under copyright, maybe they'll be able to get an ebook on demand sure. or yeah. there's just so many different applications for this, but it's really just, it is unlocking all that, that creative you know, whether it's music records, books, all the different types of things that people can have free access to if it's not under copyright anymore. And again, this this is metadata. At the end of the yeah. day, if copyright or not, that is a piece yep. of very important metadata. Yep. So we're back to structured content and metadata. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> As the key to digital transformation. Yeah. Those are the- <laughs> From our perspective. <laughs> yeah. But those two case studies were were really fascinating. And to wrap up, do you have any advice for companies who were wanting to maybe do something a little more innovative and consider structured content? Right. So, I mean, I mean, I think, like we said, it's the structured content is one building block of the digit, you know, that digitization strategy. I always have a hard time with that word, but (laughs) digitization, there I go again. Anyway, (laughs) so I I mean, my my advice would be, I I think we you need to start with an overarching digitization strategy that needs to be well thought out before you're going to take on a structured content project. That's from my perspective. And I think you need to answer a some larger questions here before you say, oh, I'm just going to create, you know, XML. You, you know, what kind of a content management system are you using? Are you going to use a component content management system and go to Dita? You know, are you, you know, are, what downstream systems are you going to use for your structured content? What are you doing with the content? You know, how's it going to be utilized? Who's going to update it? Right. And who's going to use it? And, you know, just and how will the content be created in structure, like new content? How are we going to create that in a structured format? So there's a few of the questions. But, you know, again, my advice, because, <laughs> again, we're, we're biased. I, I would suggest working with consultants and partners because I not only just because I'm biased is just because I think it's a, a great way to get started on drafting that overarching strategy. Because, you know, part of the advantage is you're drawing from experiences across different clients. Like we, both of us have experiences working with many clients and many projects, and we can draw on those experiences. But so, so first to me would be the, the, you know, create that overarching strategy. And then this is one's going to be near and dear to your heart more, Alan, <laughs> would be once you decide on a structured content project, um, you'll mo- you're going to want to develop a content model first, <laughs> yes. and I, that's you, and it, that it supports. You know, you want to make sure it's supporting a good representative set of, of content, and you know, so if you're in the pharma industry, you want to make sure that you're covering, you know, different 
drugs and products and, you know, different localities because they're global, different document types with like journal content. You want to make sure you're looking at time spans because just like we talked about for NYPL, something from the 1800s, it's going to be look very different than the 1900s. Sure. So, and then I think the content model is key, which is where you guys come in. Yep. <laughs> and then really, then then you're ready for, for your actual conversion, the content, you know, once you have that content model, that detailed content model, I think then you're, then you're ready to go into a, a structured format and, and start with a pilot and some samples. And I would suggest significant testing with downstream systems before you begin a conversion of a full set of data because you want to don't want to have to go back if you have a large volume of content and redo anything. But again, once again, I would suggest working with a company that does it. <laughs> but again, not only will you be able to draw from the years of experience, which I already said, but you, you know, like I just talked about in a couple of these examples, we can apply some automation to the conversion process, which is going to produce a higher quality and, you know, more consistent data set. Absolutely. And I will say one thing about conversion and why I think it's really wise to use a vendor if you are doing one of these big, innovative digital transformation projects, there's going to be some change management you need to do to get people moved off the old way into the new systems. The absolute worst way you can introduce a content creator in particular to a new system and a new way of doing things is to have them manually convert from the old system to the new system. You will gain so much hate and so much, <laughs> so many despondent, unhappy people. That right there is another perfect example of why you need to consider <laughs> hiring professionals to do your yeah, conversion yeah. work. We, a lot of our work nowadays is, is we, I call, we start calling it replatforming. Yeah. <laughs> that's really what it that's is. A good word, taking, actually. Yeah. That's what we've been doing. We take a lot from one platform where you content in one platform and move it to another platform. And sometimes we're doing conversion from one XML to another XML, but we do a lot of replatforming and it's a big, messy job. And you, why, why take, you know, this is what we do. That's, I mean, data conversion laboratory. <laughs> That's yes. all we do. So exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Amy, this has been a really interesting conversation. I cannot thank you enough. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. You are most welcome. Thank you for listening to the content strategy experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. For more information, visit scriptorium.com or check the show notes for relevant links.